Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber, powered by the Robert Palmer family of companies. Good afternoon and welcome back to Search Talk Live. I'm your host, Robert O'Haver, with Matt Weber. Matt? How's it going? I'm doing well, and what a great enthusiastic crowd we've got in the studio today. That was some seriously good clapping. Yeah, right. So um, today I, I want to we're going to dig into some more local search and some uh, Google My Business stuff. Uh, I think it's important. I think it's something we need to cover every aspect we can because m- most of the work that our SEOs do are is local. local Definitely, stuff. and think about our timing here. I mean, we're coming off a week with some really significant changes in, oh, yeah. in local search and in, in organic. So, And we got two heavy hitters back-to-back yes. as guests in local. We've got two of the best. Yeah, so today, um, like I said, we we're talking local search. And uh, with us today, uh, she is the founder of uh, Sterling Sky. Sorry, losing my thought here. Joy Hawkins. Joy, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the listeners, uh, for the listeners anyway? Sure. Um, So my background is definitely all in local SEO. Um, Started in the industry back in 2006. And uh, the agency that I run is specific to local search. Um, I started that uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and I'm a part of this group called uh, Google Product Experts that are basically responsible for moderating Google's different forums that they have um, for all their different products. So I'm a moderator on the Google My Business forum specifically, um, and I've been in that program now for, oh, geez, I think five years, five or six years now. Nice, nice. All right, so I'm going to dig into it. We've got some, we've had some quite a bit of news come over the week uh we've had uh let's see google's updated their uh linking guidelines uh really much not much has changed there um but the biggest thing that hit really yesterday i believe it was I believe it was yesterday was about the rich snippets and the the schema markup and uh really affecting organizations and small business all across the board across the board exactly and it, it honestly it wasn't very clear on how they really want things done so joy we're just going to turn to you and help us clear it up because their writing was awfully muddy what is all this what do all those changes mean yeah so I, it's kind of funny i should preface this by saying that my outlook on schema may not agree with everybody else's um and uh, hopefully I'm not jumping ahead of myself here, but I am a firm believer in watching what Google does, not what they say. And I found with schema, a lot of what they say, they don't actually enforce in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, so far with this update, I've seen zero changes. Like we haven't seen any businesses that we're working with lose rich snippets um, yet. I've heard of one case that was reported on um, my forum uh, earlier today. I, I own and run a forum called the Local Search Forum, and there was somebody there that posted an example, but they're not even using the same schema type that like we use because I know there's different ways to set schema up, right? Like depending sure. on how you nest it and how it's formatted. So so far, we haven't seen any impact, and unless it's something that Google actually enforces the way they we think they're going to enforce it, I'm not 
panicking yet. <laughs> well, we do have, is it next week or we got week next week? Yeah. We have John Mueller on the show and uh, <laughs> we're going to grill him quite to, to get a really good explanation because we are. It, it is so confusing. You read through it. It's like, uh, we want you to, we don't want you getting third party reviews, but we also don't want you to control the reviews on your site. <laughs> so like, yeah, what? exactly. And, and Joy, you tweeted about this either yesterday or the day before <laughs> about the impact of this change on third party reviews specifically, potentially. Can you yeah. elaborate what these changes are as it relates to third party reviews? Yeah, so my understanding of what they announced was that a site like Yelp or a site like Avo, for example, that uh, directors or lawyers, they could technically use this markup on their profile pages, right? So let's say you've got a lawyer and he has a profile on both Yelp and Avo, and someone goes to Avo and leaves him a review, or someone goes to Yelp and leaves him a review. Google is fine with marking up those reviews and showing gold stars for them because technically the lawyer doesn't really control the reviews, right? Like they're getting left on a third-party site, and it's not something where, like, the lawyer could just log into Yelp and be like, well, I don't like that review. I'm going to delete it. (laughs) Um, What they're not okay with, based on my understanding, is that business taking reviews and putting them on their website through a platform of any type that they control. So there's, like, millions of these types of reputation monitoring platforms out there. We use one called uh, GatherUp for most of our clients. And like, as far as I understand it, if we were gathering reviews via GatherUp, putting them on our website, which we do, um, those wouldn't be eligible anymore. Right. But that being said, I have yet to see any of those review stars disappear. So who knows? I mean, that's John Mueller was asked very specifically on Twitter if that was what they were referring to. And he said, yes. But I've also seen him say that for other things that I've never actually seen Google enforce ever. Right so one, <laughs> yeah, one example would be um, also schema related, but marking up third party reviews. So it's a commonly held belief in the industry that you're not supposed to mark up third party reviews on your site. So for example, if I'm a lawyer and I take a review off of Avo and I put it on my website and I mark it up with schema and I say this review is from Avo, you're not supposed to do that according to common understanding. We have literally had clients get uh, rich snippet penalties. I don't want to say the word penalty, but like they've had their, you know, a, a notice come in through Search Console for rich snippets, um, had them removed, and it was never related to it being a third party because we submit it for um, when we submit the re- re- approval request to get the penalty lifted. We're still linking to the third party. Um, just every time I've seen one, it's because the review isn't present on the page, like visible or something. Like it's marked up in the code, but it's not visible or um, some other factor. But it's never been because of third parties. Like we've had penalties get lifted, and they're clearly still linking to the third party that they're quoting. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and the team is still like, here you go, you're you're fine now, you're in compliance. Probably the biggest thing I see people doing is they're they're using their Google My Business uh, and marking that up. You know, uh, yep. Which is, I've never seen Google penalized for it ever, not once. Yeah, like I've never seen a site lose their rich stars in the search results because they're marking up Google reviews. Like never once. Yeah, and I, I don't understand because they say they don't want you doing that. But <laughs> that's not even a third party at that point. It's a right. Second party. So they've introduced this, uh, which was to me, and I may have missed it, a new nomenclature called self-serving reviews which in their newest documentation they define as any set of reviews that you can influence or control. 
So where does Google My Business Reviews fit into that definition? And there are certainly plugins that take your GMB reviews and right. automatically display them without filtering on your website. So where does that fit into that criteria? What's your sense of that specific question, Joy? Can you display GMB reviews on your website and not be in violation of Google's policies? Uh, so we do. Um, we've done it for clients many times. And I've never had an issue, but we don't use the aggregate markup. We use the individual review markup. So there may be a difference there. Um, I'm not a schema expert, but I've consulted with them. Sure. And actually several of who I would consider schema experts, like um, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but Martha from... Van Berkel? Uh, thank you. It really is <laughs> not difficult for us. Martha Van Berkel, um, she uh, is also on the same page. She actually wrote an article on um, how it's totally fine to mark up third-party reviews and explain why. So again, her opinion may be unpopular, amongst the entire industry, but I'm, I agree with her because I've never seen an issue with it. Like, yeah. I think what Google says versus what they do, do is very different. And as a marketer, I personally like to watch what they do, not what they say, because they say a lot of crap that they don't actually do. I agree, but this is the first time they've actually said we've released an algorithm for this specific situation. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of scary because it would honestly be easy to detect, right? It's not that hard to detect it. Like, no, not at all. Um, if it's a site and they're like adding reviews and they're not like and they're talking about themselves, which is easy to find in the code, like you would think it would be fairly easy to detect. This is kicking but up so more. Far, I haven't seen anything. This is kicking up more dust than I think it was just about a year ago this time, maybe a little longer when they were, came out against review gating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Joy, I still see a lot of websites heavily involved in review gating and more specifically purchasing subscriptions to products that intentionally do review gating. Mm -hmm. And if anything, Google knows who these platforms are that have the functionality yep. of review gating. They know that. Could you, can you explain yep. review gating a little bit just sure. for listeners? So review gating is when you have a selective process in your reviews. So you let people review on this platform, and then you have the option to say, okay, well, if somebody left a positive sentiment, then send them this messaging where they leave a review either on GMB or another platform. But if they leave a negative sentiment, then we're going to give them another channel and we're going to move them along in a different way on that. So you, where you see it is a lot of the, like in restaurants where the first stage of the review is a happy face, a neutral face, and a, you know, a sad face. But if you click the happy face, then you get a different set of questions and you follow a different path than if you click the sad face. I got you. That's review gating. Okay. So, but, but they yeah, haven't penalized they, it. They don't enforce that with any consistency whatsoever. I mean, they do enforce it when businesses are reported, but like the platforms that are used, they could easily go in and see who's doing this. Um, it really would be hard to detect, but they don't do it at scale. They've only ever done it at scale once. And it was like, I, oh, I try to look up the date, it was with BirdEye. There was a period of three to four months where um, any BirdEye customer lost chunk of reviews and there was people complaining all over the place oh. and i've never seen that happen again so they went against a specific platform in that case yeah so there was like very little talk about this um there's a guy named craig mount um who wrote who wrote an article about it and i think he was one of the only people that covered it um but we saw people all over the forums complaining back then this was 20 yeah two years ago 2017 and he did a really good job covering a very not talked about 
thing. <laughs> but there was a lot of businesses that were impacted by that. You know, and I, I know that there are people that abuse that. It's obvious. But for the people, the, the businesses that legitimately get good reviews or any reviews, and they're legitimate, why doesn't Google want you to share, especially Google My Business? That just doesn't right. make sense to me. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, there's the other issue is if you're a business listening, there's a lot of good research out there about how people perceive reviews. Mm -hmm. And there is a general negative perception of a business that has 100% five-star ratings, for example, on that. So that's they don't perceive that as authentic. And that varies by age, too. So even if you are doing review gating now and you're getting away with it, it actually may be counterproductive. Yeah, Yeah, I think... um one of the other reasons why Google is trying to do this, and if they actually do enforce it, is because I've also seen a lot of chains kind of abuse this, where you'll see like a specific location that has like 100,000 reviews, and <laughs> anyone that does local SEO would look at that and go, there's no way that one location has that many reviews. But as a company, they collect all the reviews and then they apply that to each location, which is misleading, right? So right. I think there's a lot of brands that have misused this. And honestly, as a marketer, I was like, this is too good to last. So I was kind of expecting that Google would change something about review schema because it is kind of it's easy to lie, right? Like there's no really standard of truth for it. Um, so I, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that abuse it and just make up stuff. Yeah. Now there's another big change that hit in the past uh, seven to ten days, and that's Google taking away the radius setting in the ge- geography settings inside GMB. What's your sense as to why they did that? <laughs> Privacy, definitely. Um, so with that setting, you can actually find the address um, the business is using on their listing, which is a privacy concern because the whole concept of being able to hide your address inside Google My Business is so that people don't have your home address. Um, as business owner, there's a lot of people that don't want that out there. Um, so it's a big privacy concern because if you're using a radius, it has to have a radius around a point. And you can find that point out um, as long as the radius exists. Wow, it's super interesting. So, I never thought of that. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, that's my take on it anyways. Um, we used to use it as a hack to <laughs> find the address the business was using if we wanted to know. Um, it doesn't work anymore, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I kind of wasn't surprised that they made that move. They should have kept that as an option, though, for people that do have brick-and-mortar businesses, you know? Where it's okay for to figure out your address. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. public information. Well, well in that case, you would just show your address, and, and then you know you don't have to worry because yeah, you'd point. get a PIN, right? But, right. Yeah, but that leads to a debate that I think you were in the midst of on one of the forums, <laughs> and that is if you are a brick-and-mortar business, does it improve your exposure by also having a service area listed? Yeah. So in our testing, No. Um, so I'm actually going to be talking about this on Thursday at Local U, which is kind of funny. Um, my whole talk is about service area businesses, and we have um, our own company set up as a service area business. So Sterling Sky's listing, um, all of my employees work from home. We're all remote, so I use my home address as the address for our company's listing. And if you were to Google, like, Sterling Sky Inc., whatever, it, you wouldn't see the address on the listing because it's hidden, but it would show on the map like not a radius, but a, a box around Toronto. So it wasn't Toronto, just to be clear. I live in a town called Uxbridge. So I verify the listing using my Uxbridge address. 
but I set my service area to Toronto. I don't write anywhere in Toronto or even like remotely for any Toronto terms. I don't rank when you search from Toronto, all the traffic and um, places that my listing currently ranks all have to do with where I verify the listing, like in my town. Gotcha. Um, really? And that's always been the way that we've seen it for every business I've ever looked at. Like that hasn't changed in like the entire history of my career. So if it does change, that would be awesome. But yeah. at the moment, We've never seen um, any indication that service areas impact where you, where you show up. Now, Joy, last week we had Mike Blumenthal on the show, and uh, I know you know him, right? You know Mike, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Just <laughs> <laughs> got quiet there for a minute. Anyway, you brought up something about the mobile phones. Yeah. And, and uh, bring that up to Joy. I'd like yeah. to see what her thoughts are. So there was, and I think it was on your forum as well. And I thought Mike mentioned it on his his uh, video cast about a theory that if you have a local listing with a service area, a GNB with a service area, if you put a phone number in there that is a mobile phone that physically spends time in the targeted area you want to rank for, that you will rank in that targeted area. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I like that. It's an interesting theory. I, I didn't think that came up. I never tested it, to be honest. Um, that's not one I've, yeah, I mean, I don't know why Google would associate a listings ranking with a phone. Like, cause <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of all these scenarios. Like, what if the marketing company was the one that set up the listing for a business and then they're basing it on that other person's, like, that doesn't make any sense to me why well, Google would do see, that. To me, it is plausible. And when you connect the dots with Google ads and one of the changes they made, I think, four weeks ago with Google Ads, was that your location setting preference now includes people who have a history or a demonstrated history of traveling into your target market. So you're saying, okay, well, wow, okay, so they are actually charting where these phones go, and they know that my phone has a history of being in this geographic unit, and even though I'm not in that unit right now, I'm going to see that ad because my phone has a history of being in that geography. So you take that and you add it to what this theory is for GMB, and you go, that's plausible, right? Because if somebody's a mm-hmm. land, let's say somebody's a lawn company, and the guy's phone is in City X, physically in City X, and somebody searches for landscaping company City X, they have all the data they need to say that this guy has the ability to service that searcher quickly because he's in that geography. That's really interesting. You know, the... Uh it's almost the same technology as an Uber driver, you know. Exactly. Yes. You know, you're in that certain area, and it, you you get pinged for those rides right. in those areas. Exactly. And, Joy, let me come back to the service area question a lot because a lot of GMBs struggle with this just a little bit. And I'll give you a theory, and I won't mention any names, that a Googler actually once introduced me to, that the service area definition is widely dynamic based on your category, meaning – how they interpret what you submit is based on your category. So it says, okay, well, if you're a coffee shop, they know what a reasonable service area is for a coffee shop. So if you put in a geography that's like 40 square miles, they're going to go, no. If you're an uh, intellectual <laughs> property attorney and you choose attorney and you put in a service area that is 40 square miles, they're going to say, got it, check, good. And you will rank for that, whereas the coffee shop is not going to rank for any of that that service area that they designated because of what Google thinks the historical consumer patterns are of 
choosing a coffee shop. So what you're saying is it's categorized given a radius. If you're, It's different if you're a plumber. It's different if yes. you're an attorney. Yes. It's different if you're a coffee yes. shop. Yes. I mean, a lot of people think that if they select that service area, that yeah. that's what's going to impact their exposure, but it's not their selection of that service area. It's how Google interprets their selection of that based on their category. That's interesting. Your thoughts on that, Joy? Hmm. Maybe, like, it's a stretch because I've honestly never seen the service areas impact where you rank. So in order for that to be true, that first statement I made would have to be false, right? So I, I do think that that's eventually going to change. Um, I, I can see Google using the service area as a factor because I do know, I know they're aware of this problem that service area businesses face when they're not, you know, located inside the city that they service and it's a big problem. Um, I, I can't say that I would think that would be the case currently. I, I believe a version of what you're saying is true currently, like in the sense that coffee shops um, generally only rank for like a certain radius because uh, there are so many and because Google knows that people are not as likely to want to drive half an hour to get to a coffee shop. So the set of results is smaller or tighter in that sense. But I don't think it has anything to do with the service area that you set inside Google My Business. Well, the only Does that make sense? Yeah, it will, but the only um, additional piece of information I would submit, and Robert and I both work with a lot of SMBs, and when we take over GMB profiles, Robert, and you tell me your experience with this, nine out of ten times their service area was overly optimistic and enthusiastic, right? Because think about it. You're a business owner, and you're like, uh, yeah, I would like the entire state of Florida, right? That's how right. they look at that decision. And so then you've got Google going, well, how do I decode this data and display it when you've chosen the entire state of Florida for your plumbing business because you're enthusiastic? They had to have some means of turning that selection into a meaningful data point. And you know that you can really influence your geography. Ge- I can't talk today. Geogra- geographical area um, using schema. Yes. Um, you can influence your local three pack, your, your listing, using that. Yes. You know, and while we're on this, this is a really great topic, this GMB service area topic. Here's the question, Joy, that every business owner wants to ask you. <laughs> They, there are thousands of businesses out there that are physically located just outside a major metro area that they service. They have a physical address just outside it, and they want to rank for that. How do they do yep. it? They want to ask you, the leading expert, what's the answer to that question? Let's go with a plumber. Yeah. <laughs> well, my answer is never what people want to hear because they want to know that there is some like easy way to solve that problem, and there isn't. Um, again, like this is literally what I'm talking on in two days. So I'll, I'll use my, my pieces from that. But um, one of the ways that I try to solve it is by looking outside the box to see if there is an address that you can use that is inside the city. So I'm giving in my um, presentation at Local U, I'm giving uh, two examples where this worked really well. One was a friend of mine that was a tree company. And he uh, basically is located in this really dinky small town that no one would ever search in. Um, he's by a beach, and I think he's got 200 people in his town. And the main areas that he serviced, he services a whole bunch of cities, but they're they're not where he lives. So what we ended up doing for him is he has a business partner that's not super involved in the business, but owns a part of the business. And he lives in a much more prominent town. So we switched everything from the one guy's address to his business partner's address, which is totally fine um, with the GMB guidelines. And then similarly, I have a, um, a guy that I know that um, – 
runs a marketing agency, and he lives in Richmond Hill, which is a suburb of Toronto. So he would much rather rank in Toronto, obviously. Um, and he runs everything from his home, so he um, didn't want to use his home address in Richmond Hill, so he used the address of a condo that he owns and rents out <laughs> in Toronto. Um, he owns it, so totally fine, as far as Google's concerned. Like, he has, you know, he's not using his friend's address. <laughs> so I know there's been, like, cases where we've seen it work. Um, so, you know, if someone's investing in a property or owns a property that's in the town, that would be one way to get around it. Um okay. Now, you're going to open Other up Pandora's than... box here because with Mike, yeah. uh, we talked about citations. And in the two examples you just provided, I'm going to assume that neither of those addresses had any level of citations pointing to them, validating those as NAP addresses of that business. Is that a true statement? I'm going to check really quickly here. I don't uh, – so with the, my friend that lives um, – that lives in the bigger, or his partner lives in the bigger town. We did switch all the citations as well because oh. um, we're like, why not? This is going to be the you know main thing. This was a couple of years ago. Um, for the other one, I don't know if they have put their Toronto address anywhere because it is a residential address. So I, I want to say he doesn't really prominently ad- advertise it, but it's probably listed on his citations as well. Yeah, it is. Okay, so that led to a discussion with Mike about the value of citations, which, you know, was page one of a lot of local search playbooks for a long time. And Mike took the position that that is not bringing as much value as it once did. What's your thought on citation building? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. This is another conversation that has actually surfaced recently. There is a group of people in the local SEO community that are strong believers in citations, and they will preach it till the end of the day that citations matter and you can do fancy, what they call fancy things with citations that help. All the research I've done into that has shown that what they're doing as a strategy, there's there's two different um, options I've seen. One is to create duplicate citations everywhere and link one of them to your Google My Business listing as well as the other citation you have that links to your website. I mean, I don't know, maybe that works, maybe it doesn't, but it makes me think that eventually the directories would catch on and merge them, you would think. Who yeah. knows? Um, so I'm not really a fan of that strategy. The other strategy is just to keyword stuff the hell out of the citations that you build and put like a word in beside your title. So I would put like Sterling Sky, best local SEO agency ever as my title on Yelp, for example. <laughs> and it works. But what I notice is that it only works for that exact variation. So if I put local SEO agency Toronto as like the variation, I would rank for that exact query. But if I just did local SEO agency, or if I even reverse the order and put Toronto local SEO agency, you don't have the same effect. Huh. So it's very limited. I mean, I, I would say it works. Not a solution I would try personally. I, I don't like that tactic, but um, it does seem to work for whatever one keyword you decide to keyword stuff in your yeah, there's title a, of your yeah, yeah, there's a lot of variables there that affect that, you know, but, um, I, I think obviously I sound like I'm advertising schema, but with the advent <laughs> of schema, a lot of that, I mean, it's still got, to, it still has its place, but I think with the advent of schema, you can really, I mean, you're doing latitude, longitude area served. I mean, it, yeah. it covers it. You know? yeah. And that explains why you got that new vanity plate on your car, <laughs> schema, right? That's how, I can tell. That's how I can tell it's you. And, Joy, we asked Mike about two radical, uh, maybe not call them radical, innovative techniques that are floating around. And I think one of them was on your forums. Uh, one is 
to go ahead and publish your GMB website, even though you don't point your main domain to it. You just publish it. And then the second is to produce a sidebar on either your location-specific page or your contact page that has external links to geographically specific resources. Mm-hmm. Reactions to those two? So the GMB website, why not? Um, we're, I have to I'll have to call up the dotes from our test. We were testing that on a client. I don't believe it had any substantial influence. Like, if it does have an influence, we're talking like if there's 3,000 things that Google looks at to determine where you rank, it's like one. <laughs> you know, so it's not going to really move the needle based on this one test we've been doing. So you're, you're, but it takes two seconds. So, like, what's the harm? Yeah, so you're saying you use that as an external link source? Kind of. You, you publish the GMB website, which, you know, if you're a GMB profile, you click three buttons and you can publish a website. And it'll live at uh, whatever you've called your GMB profile, dot businesses, dot sites mm-hmm. on that. So it's a people are theorizing it's a strong Google signal. It's a Google product. It's a kind of a regurgitation of all the data that you've put into your GMB profile. So people say, yeah, it's a local signal. But then other people say, listen, it might knock somebody else off of a SERP. Right, if it ranks, then you're you've yeah. got two things on the SERP rather than one thing on the SERP, and maybe that's the main benefit of it as you kick somebody else off. And their follow links. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So to the one point, I've never seen a GMB website knock a competitor out. Usually, they don't rank very well for anything <laughs> yeah. other than your brand name. So for your brand name, it gives you another, you know, maybe it would be a good idea, for example, if you had like a negative review problem and you were trying to knock out one of those. Right. Um, I could see that maybe working, but any GMB list, uh, website we have ever published, we've only ever seen rank for a branded term anywhere on the first page. Um, so it's not, it, I mean, they're horribly made. They're not made for SEO. Let's just say that. True. Um, I don't know if you guys caught the post. It was on uh Fresh Chalk, this um, guy named Adam was doing this um, rundown of all these different free website builders and he looked at GMB websites and together through emails back and forth, we realized that um, the meta description tag on the GMB website isn't even formatted correctly and can't be read. So it goes to show you how huh. much the GMB team that built those knows about SEO. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> So hold that thought. We have to take a break for our sponsors. Um, When we get back, we're going to talk with Joy about who influences the influencer. We want to know who influences Joy. I mean, Joy's name comes up on the show quite often. She obviously knows her stuff. We want to know who influences you. And Joy, you're prohibited from saying Mike Blumenthal. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Right after these messages, guys. Today's episode of Search Talk Live is sponsored by... Hey, Robert. You're here early for the show. Yeah, I got a ton of SEO work done this morning, and I got it done way ahead of schedule. Couldn't have done it without Ahrefs. Yeah, so much easier than using multiple programs and having data in a bunch of different places. Plus, being able to see what is holding a page back from ranking in Ahrefs is so much faster than picking through each part myself. Oh, yeah, I agree. We use Ahrefs because it's so easy to teach people at our agency how to use it. Their YouTube tutorials couldn't be better. It's one thing to have a tool. It's another thing to know your team is using it to its full capacity. I don't think there's an easier, more complete tool than Ahrefs. Hey, Robert, why don't you hit them up to be a sponsor of the show? I am way ahead of you. 
Ahrefs, the official SEO tool of Search Talk Live. Try their new seven-day trial for only $7. Go to Ahrefs.com. That's Ahrefs.com. Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy until now. Smilytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand, memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Learning a lot from Search Talk Live, but don't know what specific SEO actions you should be taking on your website? Or maybe you've tried to implement SEO on your website, but haven't gotten the results you were aiming for. We've all been there. That's why we here at Pixel Cut Labs created the SEO Project Planner. It's a one-time project where our SEO team runs a full site crawl, overlays data from leading SEO tools, and manually audits every page on your website. We'll use our findings to craft a strategic plan that covers everything from your link building strategy to page level technical SEO and content recommendations. The project planner is perfect for businesses that are serious about SEO and want to hit a home run by leveraging our proven SEO strategy. To learn more and to see pricing for your project, visit pixelcutlabs.com STL or text STL to 31996. Pixel Cut Labs, welcome to page one. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show. All right, we are back. And like a, like you just heard, you can go to Twitter and type in hashtag search talk live with your questions. Uh, I haven't been monitoring, to be honest with you, but I'm going to right now. <laughs> we were pretty engrossed in the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, uh, Joy, let's, uh, who influences you? Who, who is the person that you keep your ear to the ground and our ear, what is it? Yeah, keep your ear to the ground. You yeah. never miss them. Yeah. Yeah. Who influences you, Joy? So I'm, I'm allowed two answers, or can I have three? Yes. Okay. Um, so in the local search space, I would say Mike Blumenthal and Darren oh. Shaw. Um, both, of, interestingly, who don't really um, do SEO, they both run um, SaaS companies that are in the local search space, but they um, are very well-versed in the local SEO industry, and um, they really know their stuff, and they don't come to conclusions lightly, which is nice. Um, and then... Outside of the specific to local SEO space, but more like gen- generic SEO, it would say Marie Haynes. So um, I uh, what was read everything she puts in her head. Marie Haynes. Great. You know, in, in terms of getting knowledge, too, I think people really need to check out the two forums that you oversee. There's some really great discussions on there. And if we have time left, I'd love to ask you about what's your weirdest forum story. But uh, can you mm-hmm. tell people about the two forums that you participate in? Yeah, uh, the local search forum I own. Um, so I bought from Linda Bouquet last year. So she retired. She was another one of my mentors, but she doesn't work in the industry anymore. She retired. And um, so that's 
everything to do with Hulk search, and then I moderate the Google My Business forum that Google owns, their forum for their product. Um, I'm just a moderator on there. Okay. And while we're on this GMB track, um, having worked with a lot of SMBs, they try to interpret their insight data, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. that that is presented in the clearest, easiest way. Can you walk our listeners through what's the difference between uh, discovery and the, the two categories of there? I think people get them back reversed a lot. Yeah, so the problem with GMB Insights is the number one metric I see people reference is views, which are um, usually you know in a chart format. It's the most misleading stat you could look at. A view is like an impression on the display network. Basically, you know, when you run display ads and everywhere your ad shows up, you get an impression and it's kind of meaningless because it doesn't mean people are even looking at your ad or interacting it with any way. That's pretty much views. Like anytime your name shows up anywhere on a map. So I could be on my phone scrolling through my map looking for like what's in the area. If I happen to pass by a label for a business, that counts as a view. If that business shows up underneath another business on in the knowledge panel as like people also search for that counts as a view. So it's like the most inflated metric, not to mention it includes ad impressions. So whenever we see these giant spikes and declines, half the time it's because they were running ads with location extensions and then stopped or decreased their budget or something. And that is all reported inside GMB Insights. It drives me insane. Okay, so that is a very, very significant point that a lot of people don't realize, that if you have your local extension running in your Google Ads, those impressions are being counted in your GMB Insights. Yep, and they don't break it down for you either. And a lot of people see a difference in their data between what they see in GMB Insights and what they see in their Google Analytics. Why? (laughs) Yeah, well, GMB Insights, um, there is a bit of a delay, so I don't know if there is – it's possible that Google Analytics may not match exactly based on the day because of the delay. That's like there's like a three-day delay with GMB Insights, generally speaking. Um, so that could be one reason. Like if you're using like last 30 days and you compare both, they they're probably not going to match. Um, but if you use UTM codes inside GMB, it's the best chance you have of having them all line up. Um, so we do that with all of our clients, and then usually we default to Google Analytics. Um, but we also use call tracking numbers inside Google My Business because that's like the ultimate source of truth um, to see how many people actually called you as a result of your listing because a lot of people don't convert on the website. They convert on the actual listing itself. So call tracking, I think, is key to having any idea of what's going on. Yeah, Robert, who is our recent guest that coined a term that I wasn't familiar with that is um, Google SERP optimization? And so he was espousing this theory <laughs> that more and more transactions are happening on the SERP itself and that you really have to start adopting the mentality of optimizing your presence on the SERP to be able to convince the consumer to do the thing that they wanted to do there. I don't remember who. But that was a fascinating discussion, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. um, Do do you find that that affects... Um, I don't know if anybody's ever, ever done a test on this. If you have, uh, leave in the comments uh, on Twitter. Um, but using different tracking phone numbers, which I, I actually do that myself too uh, for my clients, but uh, affecting any credibility. You know, you know what I'm saying? Almost like not having the same address in all places. Joy, do you yeah, have a so it doesn't, that? it doesn't impact your like ranking if that's what you're wondering. Um, 
what we do is we put the call tracking number as the primary phone number, and then there's a, sec there's a line inside Google My Business for other phone numbers. So you mm -hmm. just put the real phone number as a secondary number. Sure. <laughs> the only time it really causes problems is if you have um, Google My Business synced up with like Yext or Moz Local or any of those services, and you don't have the tracking number in there, they'll keep trying to change it back. And it's like this constant flipping back and forth, which drives me nuts. So if you're using those services, my recommendation would just be to disconnect Google My Business so that you don't have that constant problem. Yeah, the other thing that we don't see very often, or we, we like to mention anyway, is using UTM codes in the links from your Google My Business. Yeah, and that's got it's a gotta really to break out the value of right. local search. It's a, it's a must. And... Um, it's not that hard to do, and so if, if you're listening to the show and you're wondering what this technique is, if you go to the, if you Google the phrase Google URL Builder, you'll get to a page that talks about how to build a, a UTM code, and in, you're going to replace website address in your GMB listing with that, right. what's generated on the Google URL Builder, and then that'll show up as a campaign inside your Google Analytics. Yeah. Yeah, one, one thing we'll add on this front since you're talking about GMB insights that I feel like like almost no one seems to remember with, with um, Google My Business data is that a lot of searches, like a lot of mobile searches, do not show up in Search Console at all um, because the website icon is not present on mobile. So if you go to your phone right now and you search coffee shop near me, hmm. there's no website icons. There's just photos, at least there is for me. And usually there's a um, phone icon. But a lot of times the website icons are missing on mobile. So like all of these search queries that triggered your listing do not show up inside Search Console. That's is, nuts. This is where we do actually use GMB data because we look at the search queries in site, um, and we see all these near-me terms that don't show up as heavily um, inside Search Console, or we see like certain terms that don't match up. Um, I feel like that is a missing key element that a lot of people don't realize, but another reason to use call tracking. Yeah, and, and we want to get back just to where we're going to close out the section on GMB Insights, but people see that giant pie chart at the top of GMB mm -hmm. Insights. It says direct and discovery. Tell our listeners, what does that mean? Yeah, so direct visits are visits where you were the only result that pulled up. So if you search Sterling Sky, that is a direct visit because Sterling Sky is the only listing that shows up. Um, Likely, <laughs> unless there's another Sterling Sky near you. Um, Discover would be anything else that returns a traditional three-pack or two-pack two result. Yeah, I have a bad relationship with analytics right now because I've, I've got a couple of sites that have spiked recently, but it doesn't give you any keywords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. oh. And that's where your, uh, your CSI skills have to kick in, right? Exactly, And, and yeah. being able to decode all that. Joy, uh, in <laughs> your sense, what... Why do you think that in GMB Insights, why does Google show a comparison of your photo views and other businesses in your industry as a metric, but not like other metrics like here's the number of calls compared to other calls in your industry or here's the number of texts you received? Why did they pull out photos as an opportunity to benchmark you against other people in your industry? Because I think that Google wants you to do something when it comes to photos. So they're really trying to get businesses to add more photos to their listings because that in turn helps Google. The more data that you give Google, the more it helps Google um, become the you know the presence, the place where everybody goes to get every piece of information on every business, right? Mm -hmm. um, they don't have that same advantage. Like, why do they care about your phone? There's nothing that they can get from you by displaying that information. 
Why so I believe they do really focus on photos because it really helps them um, the more data they have. They really want businesses to add lots of photos. If we had some sound effects, Robert, we should cue uh, some mystery music here because, Joy, here's a question <laughs> on everybody's mind. Why do some businesses experience changes in their Google My Business listing that they did not put in there? I got the answer ah. that. <laughs> Go we just wrote an article about this last week on the Sterling Sky blog. <laughs> so there's several different options um, of who's updating your Google My Business listing if it's not you. Um, I'll kind of quickly run through them. One would be um, it's a third-party data source. We see this sometimes with car, car dealers. Like their site has the proper hours, but their parent company site does not, and there's conflicting information there. So it's, it's possible it's coming from a third-party source. Third-party apps is usually the biggest tra- um, cause of this. So like like I was talking about Yaks, Moz Local, ones like those where they access your data. Um, if you have something different in Yaks than you have in Google My Business, that is a problem. And Yaks will overwrite Google My Business. And yeah, but usually that's by far the most common reason. Um, and then sometimes it's another manager you forgot to delete off your listing. <laughs> Happens more than you'd know. Like, uh, get that sometimes is the answer from Google on forum threads. Um, and then there's also public ed- editors as well. So, you know, unfortunately, there is this concept of negative SEO where competitors will go and try to change your information to um, negatively impact your listing. It, it definitely still happens. And then you have people that suggested edits that go in and yeah. change it. or Yeah, and there's some difference of opinion as to who has as much influence to be able to have their edits accepted? <laughs> That's the yeah, I wrote an article about that, too. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Joy, there's been some big changes in the past weeks about uh, practitioners, doctors, lawyers, and their ability to have individual listings and the effect of that. So in specifically, Dr. A has his own GMB listing, but he spends time at Office A and Office B, Office A has distinct hours. Office B has distinct hours. In the doctor's listing, they're going to ask for hours. Which ones do you put, and how does that fit into the whole GMB ecosystem? Yeah, so one doctor that works at a multiple locations has always been allowed to have multiple listings. That, that hasn't changed. Um, and the hours should not overlap. Theoretically speaking, you can't be in two places at once. But there is zero policing of this. Like, honestly, I tell people don't even worry about it. Google would probably, like, you know, slap me for saying that. But honestly, they don't monitor this in any way, shape, or form. Ours is not something the Google My Business team cracks down on whatsoever. Yeah, plus plus they have, you know, answering services that schedule their their appointments and all that stuff around when they're actually going to be there. So it's hard to – it's really hard to police that. Yeah, we have lots of attorneys that like to list themselves as open 24 hours a day, and I'm like, go for it. Like, <laughs> Google doesn't do anything to businesses that do that, even if their shop is technically closed, because they take out, they do take calls after hours, so that's the reason why they want to list it that way. Yeah. Um, but I've never seen any enforcement on this. One of those things where it's like what Google says versus what Google does is very different. But I think they're still displaying the... Um the little signal, the little sign on your GMB listing that says ver- verified by owner mm-hmm. for your hours. And then for people that don't verify it, they show it in red. In red, it says not verified by owner. Well, I think the wording is a little bit different. But then if, if the business has verified it, it's in green and it says verified by owner. 
Yeah, usually it says own this business question mark with the wording that they have on unverified listings. But if your hours specifically are put in by you, then they have a messaging sometimes in some categories. And if your hours are not put in by you and they have reason to doubt them, they put it in red. They say not verified. I'm sure I've ever seen that. Um, I know for special hours they do, like for like – Holidays and stuff, if, mm-hmm. if the business is out of yes. special hours, it yes. has different messaging. Right. If there's a holiday coming up and if you haven't told them whether or not you're going to be open or closed, it'll give mm-hmm. some message that indicates that's not verified. Yeah. Like I have a sushi listing open right now that's nearby that's not verified. The hours don't show up right for me. So I don't know. Maybe it's different by different devices possibly. Joy, if there was a sudden law change in the United States and you were only allowed to place your business in three directories and you owned an air conditioning repair company and the law says you can only put your business in three online directories, what three are you choosing and why? My answer would vary quite quite drastically based on the industry. So like you said air, if it was an AC company, I'd probably put like Home Advisor up there. But obviously not if it was a doctor or a lawyer. I think the niche directories are often the most valuable. Um, so depending on the industry, I'd put those at the top. And then that varies also based on the country. So there are certain directories I know in the UK or Canada that are more prominent than the US. As a whole, like across every industry, um, I would say uh, Yelp, Facebook, and Apple Maps. Facebook, Yelp, and? Apple Maps. Apple Maps. I really? said Apple Labs. <laughs> I did too. Apple Maps. Really? You think Apple Maps is that influential? I think they make it purposely hard to track so no one has any clue what they're getting. Um, you know, it's a lot of direct traffic and stuff inside Google Analytics. Um, we have been trying to find a creative way to track it. Um, no luck yet. <laughs> but um, I think it's powerful because it's the default for iPhones, right? Like it's, they don't default to Google Maps. They default to Apple Maps. And a lot of people think they're using Google when they're actually using Apple. I find that with myself. I'm like, why is this so, I'm going to say bad, but why is this <laughs> so not good? And I, Oh, it's because I'm not using Google Maps. I'm on Apple Maps. Right. You know, like yeah. if you're in, uh, if you're in uh, CarPlay, <laughs> right, CarPlay, and it defaults to Apple Maps. You don't use MapQuest? <laughs> oh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Okay, Joe, we got a big one for you. What's the future of local? Do you see it being paid? Do you see someday Google says, hey, all you businesses that have been getting tremendous value out of these GMB listings, here's your options. (laughs) What's your sense of where Mm -hmm. it's going? I do not think they're going to make it strictly paid. I think think that would be a bad experience for users. Like I do think the general public would be pissed off if it was a purely paid. First page will be paid. Second page would be organic. I honestly think think it would have a detrimental impact on Google if they did that. I think users would leave. I've already heard people I'm friends with say that they want to stop using Google because they're so sick of the ads. So I think Google's already trading a fine line there. If they were to switch it to a complete pay to um, play model, it would be – And I think they know that, which is why I don't think they're going to do it. I do think that they're going to expand the local service ads um, platform like crazy because we're already seeing it now for like realtors and lawyers. They're experimenting with it in the the San Diego market. So those are looking less and less like ads and they're shoving them now in the three pack and doing all kinds of stuff there. So I think they'll continue to try to make ads look less like ads. Um, But I don't think they're going to get rid of Google My Business or make it all paid. 
Okay, I'll interject a theory, Robert. Tell me your thoughts on this. GMB becomes uh, a freemium model. You get X amount of functions for free, but if you want the upgraded video functionality or if you want the upgraded find out the color of the eyes of your best customers functionality, uh, you got to pay for that. I don't think so because then they become another Yelp or Yellow Pages. or. There's a lot of money in being a Yelp. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah but how many people actually have a paid listing? In Yelp, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I bet you it's more than we think it is. Think so? Yeah, and if you ever watched the documentary on Amazon Prime about Yelp, uh, you would say, yeah, it's more than we think it is. Huh. Which is a great documentary for everybody to watch, by the way. I honestly, in the, the thousands of searches I've done, I haven't in the last five years, I haven't seen Yelp show up for any of them. Hmm. So I don't know. We have clients using Yelp ads. I'm actually a fan of them. They're more expensive than... Google ads, like yeah. the cost per lead, but they are a good way to get more leads if you're like a business that you just need more leads and you're yeah. okay with paying a little more. But yeah. it's category specific, right? I think more geographically specific. Like uh, there are certain areas where like no one uses Yelp and there are certain areas where it's like everyone uses Yelp. I'm obviously being very generic, but um, I, I think it really varies based on the area. But you wouldn't look for an ophthalmologist on Yelp? No. Not me. Probably. Well, it depends. If you were in San Francisco, I'd say probably yes. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So it is geographic. Yeah, there was a built-in joke, though. If you were looking for an <laughs> ophthalmologist, you wouldn't look on your <laughs> But uh, uh, we'll go to that. Is it time for Believe It or Leave It? It is time for Believe It or Leave It. All right, Joy. Believe It or Leave It, one of the most popular features of Search Talk Live. We're going to give you three statements, and we're going to ask you to tell our listeners whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it, and, of course, tell them why. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. All right, number one. Wow, the timing of this is unbelievable, and this was not planned. Uh, Paying for a Yelp advertising program improves your local ranking, even in the Google local pack. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. I would test it. Be honest. I wouldn't uh, 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 it's, it. it's not test it or leave it. <laughs> uh, um, uh, okay. Well, without testing it, I'd say that there's a definite possibility that it could. That it could. So I would pay. I would try it. That's a borderline believe it. it. And the reason why is because I think when you pay, you show up in more of the search result pages on Yelp, which get indexed by Google. So the more of those that you're on, could, I know that Yelp does impact your ranking on Google. Like Mike Blumenthal kind of showed a test and did a test on that a couple years ago where they used some fake reviews on Yelp <laughs> to influence where a business ranked on Google and it worked. So I think Yelp is one that Google does pay attention to. So theoretically, yeah, I think it could work. I, I've never tested it though. So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Question number two. Sorry, I'm breaking your rule. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Question number two, you can delete negative reviews on Google if a long if a long time has transpired between the transaction and the review? No. <laughs> <laughs> that one I don't have to think about now. Yeah, it's no. a definite leave time it? time period. Has, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are the conditions for getting a review removed? Probably the second most popular question I get as I travel the country. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, I don't know if we have time for me to get into this, but like there are so many different scenarios with negative reviews. There are, um, I have a list of about 12 to 15 um, things that Google will remove that I have in my um, local SEO training. So I'll, I'll spit off some that come to the top of my head. 
if a person has reviewed multiple locations for the same business, Google will generally remove those. So like your realtor pisses you off, so then you go and leave reviews for all these different real estate locations from that same company. Google will remove those. Um, if it's a uh, racist review, depending on how they phrase it, it sometimes gets removed. So I had to argue with Google on a few of these, but um, if they make a um, derogatory statement about a person's race, um, and it, it depends on how they word it, but that often does get removed. Um, if they if you can prove the person works there, they'll remove that. Um, I'm trying to think of what other ones. Are there any others that you've heard of that you're wondering if Google would remove? If the review contains personal identifying characteristics yeah. of someone. They usually will do that, yeah. Like if you're like, oh, it, it, especially if it's um, personal to the customer. I don't know. It depends on the – if it's personal about the business owner, it depends on what it is. Uh, last name. Last name sometimes. Uh yeah, no, I doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't expect them to remove that. All right, are you ready for number three? Yes. All right, number three. If someone has a high level as a local Google reviewer, they have a greater ability to make changes on a business's GMB profile. No. It was like she knew the question before she – I know. <laughs> I knew exactly where you're going when you first started it, but, yeah, I know 100% no. No. So, th- so some um, local guides don't have more influence over others. They do, but it has nothing to do with what businesses you review. It has to do with what businesses you've edited and what of those edits have been approved and where and what type of business. Um, I was really heavily involved in MapMaker when it was open, so this is easier to track and see with MapMaker because you could literally see someone's edit approval rate. Um, so that's how I'm kind of very confident about this answer. But it has nothing to do with what businesses you've left reviews for. All right. So that, that, that actually ends, believe it or leave it. But I do have a question that I get asked constantly, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. What is the sure. ranking factor on the local three-pack? Sorry, say that again? What makes you rank on the local three-pack? Oh, you want one thing? <laughs> yeah, just one. <laughs> Um, keyword stuffing your business name. Not one I would do, but that seems to work very well. Ethical. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, ethical, then I would probably say uh, reviews over time seem to really help because I think it helps with click-through rate, which helps ranking. Um, unfortunately, there's more unethical ones than ethical ones that right. are easy to game. All right, well, it's time for our Search Talk Live tattoo. And, Joy, you've been great, by the way, just some phenomenal advice and phenomenal information in this show. So can you summarize it with one piece of distinct, succinct, clear advice for our listeners that is tattooable? And Robert gets all these as tattoos. We have a very limited ink budget here at Search Talk Live, so keep it brief. So what's your best tattooable piece of advice? Well, I think to sum up what I've been kind of saying repeatedly here is – Follow what Google does, not what they say. Mm. So that's my summary statement. And I think by the nature of those words, Robert, that should be on your back, not anywhere on your front. Follow what Google (laughs) does, not what they say. Right? Yeah. Okay. Do you have any space on the back? That's that's been said for quite some time. And, you know, there's – you got to filter – what to listen to and what not to. Yeah, but do you have any space on your back for that one? Um, yes. All right, good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, well, 
Um, Joy, we want to thank you for being on the show. We will be. I will send you a link to the show once uh, we've. It's up and and live. Um, well, actually, it is live right now. It is Search Talk Live, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> once it's actually finished compiling, but uh, then uh, do you, if people want to reach out to you, can they? Are you on Twitter or how can they do that? Yeah, I'm very active on Twitter. It's just me. No one, no one controls my Twitter handle other than me. <laughs> um, and my website is sterlingsky.ca, so you can also reach me there. Very nice. All right. Well, thanks for your being on the show. Um, lots of great information, guys. I hope you've been taking notes or if you replay the show if you need to to, to get some of the stuff that Joy has given us. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And check out Mike Blumenthal from the previous week. Yeah, and before we go, I do want you to check out now – uh, if you really love the show, please check out our sponsors. Go to pixelcutlabs.com. Check them out. Lots. Uh, their service is amazing. Uh, and Ahrefs, uh, that's a tool. And uh, Joy, you use Ahrefs, right? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, and we lean heavily on it. Yeah, yeah, that's like the. That's I like, pay for Ahrefs. Let me tell you, a lot of these tools give me their stuff for free because they want me to use it. I I pay for Ahrefs, so I, I firmly believe in them. <laughs> wow, I do too, actually. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, lots of information there. They've got plenty of tutorials, videos, uh, helpful guides if you to to learn because there is a ton of data in in Ahrefs. Uh, for your website so check them out uh, check pixel cut labs out and uh, thanks again for listening we will be back next week and i think uh what is it hang on hold that thought i want to tell everybody who we have on the show next week i believe it's john mueller but i was unprepared so give me one second i'm looking all right so next week we have no we have keith good Keith Good is back. Always he's, a popular guest. Yeah, he's one of my. He's a good friend of mine. He's uh, he's the head of SEO for IBM, small company, but you know. Yeah. Great <laughs> stuff. Thanks right. a lot, everybody. Joy, thanks so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye bye. Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. If you have questions for Search Talk Live or you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor of the show, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's searchtalklive.com.